I want you to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3, and as you're turning there this morning, I want you to, to think back, for some of you maybe quite a ways back, but I want you to think of a time when you were a child, and you were just overflowing with anticipation for a special day. Maybe it was your birthday, and and, and you think back to that time, and maybe there was that birthday, you can still recollect in your mind that there was that thing that you wanted so bad, and you were so anticipating that special day. Maybe it was Christmas, and I know for a lot of us, man, when I was little, when it was Christmas time, I remember like four, five, six years old, like I could not sleep all night because I was waiting for anticipation for the gifts that I knew, and or at least hoped that my parents were going to give me. Maybe, it, maybe it's the birth of a child, and if you're new with us, just to let you know, we got a lot of ladies that are pregnant in the house. Uh, and so you think about it. For some of you, it's your first child. And you know you read those books, right? You, you read those books, what, what to expect when you're expecting, and how big is the baby in month one, and how big is it in month three, and all the things that you look forward to, and you're waiting for that special day, dads and moms, when you give birth to that first child, whatever it may be, maybe it's a new job, whatever it is, a new opportunity, but think about the anticipation that you feel leading up to that day. And man, the anticipation, let's put it in our context right now, right here, the anticipation that led up to this day, right? For some of you, you've been a part of this church from the very, very beginning. And so there's been a lot of anticipation for you, 14 years of anticipation. I met someone the other night when we prayed over this building that was here, and this was only their third time. But there's been great anticipation to even lead us to this day where we could have a permanent place to call our home. And as we think about that, as we feel that today, regardless of what situation you may be in that I described just a minute ago, regardless of where you are, in Joshua chapter 3, we find the Israelites in a similar spot. Because the Israelites are at the banks of the Jordan River. And see, the Jordan River is the river that they need to cross to go into the land that God had promised them. And it was a land that they have anticipated for an extremely long time. Forty years they wandered around in the wilderness as they left Egypt. But now they're at the banks of the Jordan River ready to cross into the land that God had given them. And I am sure there was tremendous excitement and anticipation for what they believed had finally come. Something that that had been promised to them for so long and now they're at the cusp to experience it personally. And the title of this message this morning, if you're taking notes, you can take notes on that handout that you got when you walked in this morning is this. The title of the message is this, New Beginnings. New Beginnings. And I want you to write down this idea, it's this, that new beginnings are the gateway to greater opportunities. Our church is here for the first time. This is a new beginning for us. And I think about this passage of Scripture where we are in Joshua 3, but leading up to that in Joshua 1, Joshua is now taking the mantle from Moses. Moses has passed away. God has called Moses home. And now Joshua has this opportunity 
this privilege, this responsibility that I'm sure weighed heavy on him to now lead these millions of people into the land that God had promised. And God encourages Joshua in Joshua 1 to be strong and courageous. To believe that just as the Lord was with Moses, the Lord was going to be with him. And so for Joshua personally, in this passage of scripture that we're going to read today, this was a new beginning for him. And so then we broaden the scope and we think of the children of Israel and the children of Israel, this really being the second generation of the children of Israel that left Egypt because in Hebrews 3 we're told that the first generation was told by God they could not enter the land because of their disobedience. But here we have children and grandchildren about to enter the land that their moms and dads told them about for so long and now they're about to enter that land. You see, for the children of Israel, this was a new beginning. And I don't know where you are in life, but maybe, maybe you're starting. We have, we have some people in this room that just got married last week. And so for you, this is a new beginning. Maybe others of you have just started a new job or you've just had that first baby that we talked about the anticipation before or, or whatever it is. You got a new home. In this building, we have a new beginning. And so for us in this room, you may be experiencing the opportunity that God has placed before you that many would call, and what we're going to call today, new beginnings. Because new beginnings are the gateways to greater opportunities. So what I want to do this morning in the time that we have left is I want to give you three ways that we approach new beginnings from this passage of Scripture in Joshua 3. So would you look at verse 1, the children are there, children of Israel are there at the banks of the Jordan River, about ready to cross it, God's about to do a miracle for them. But look at what it says in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out for Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. We're going to see in verse 2 that they were there for three days, just sitting there on the banks of the Jordan River. Waiting with anticipation for what God was going to do. And here's the first way that I see from this text on how we approach new beginnings. Number one, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. See, what I've found in my life, and I'm sure that you would say it's true of your life, is that you can't be thankful without reflection. See, to be thankful without reflection goes against the very definition of thankfulness because in order for me to be thankful, I have to remember what happened. And we can't be thankful without reflection. And though the Bible specifically doesn't tell us in this passage of Scripture, if we put ourselves in this narrative, which you know I encourage you to do whenever we walk through a narrative in Scripture, and we think about all the years that led up to this moment to where the children of Israel are about to, to claim what God had promised them, but yet they sit there for three days. Just think of the conversations that must have taken place on the banks of that Jordan River. Hey, do you remember how long it took us to get here? Remember all the frustration? Remember that palm tree that we walked back year after year and we're like, haven't we been here before? Like, remember when mom and dad told us, when I kept asking, are we there yet, right, mom and dads? Like, are we there yet? Do you think, I'm sure they asked that in the Hebrew back then. Are we there yet? 
and mom and dad just telling us to keep going forward. I'm sure at the banks of that Jordan River, there were all types of conversations. And knowing what we know about Scripture and the importance of celebration and reflection and remembering who God is, I'm sure there was a purpose in that partly that the reason why God had them there for three days on the bank of the Jordan River is because God wanted them to remember where they came from. Because you can't be thankful without reflection, but reflection also leads to celebration. Like when you have time to reflect and you have time to say, man, let me remember where I came from and what's led me to this day, that reflection leads to celebration. Some of you are here this morning and a year ago, you would have thought that your marriage was over. You would have thought in that moment, if you reflect back to a year ago and you remember where you came from, you would have said, man, I didn't think that we could recover from what happened in our marriage, but you're here today. And God's restored that. You see, if you're going to approach a new beginning, the first thing you need to do is you need to remember where you came from. Like, I think we would be remiss to just come into this building and celebrate without remembering where we came from, remembering the many people that gave time and resources and so much that took place, good and difficult, that have led us to this place. Because when we reflect, we can celebrate. And when we reflect, we're reminded of what God has done. And we need to remember where we came from as a church. 14 years ago, starting in a basement. Brad playing the keys back then, leading a guitar with just a few people. And now for us to be here. So we got to remember where we come from if we're going to approach new beginnings. And I think that when we remember where we come from, you know what it does? It emboldens our faith. Because I would venture to say, even in this amazing day, the day, a day that we can celebrate God's provision for this church, I'm sure there's still some of you today that are struggling in your faith with what you're going through. And I found one of the greatest ways that helps me embolden my faith in what God can do is reflecting on what he's done in the past. Because the only way I'm going to approach those new beginnings as greater opportunities and walk through those doors is to remind myself, wait a minute, God, let me remember what has brought me to this point. You see, some of you are still praying for a breakthrough. Some of you are still praying for God to do just some miracle in whatever situation it is. But I encourage you to remember where you've come from because I promise you, if you take the time to do that, you would say, though this hasn't worked out to its fruition, man, God, I'm looking at where I was to where I am now. And God, I'm going to remember what you've done. I'm going to remember where I came from. Because reflection not only encourages celebration, but it also strengthens our conviction in who God is. Like my prayer for you is that with whatever situation you're going through, that even in this provision of this facility, that you could say, God, if you did that for this church, then I believe that you can also do whatever it is that I'm struggling with in my life. See, reflection, when I remember where I come from, it strengthens my conviction in what God can do. And some of us right now are stuck in a ditch. Some of us in our spiritual lives are in neutral right now and our wheels are spinning. And what I would encourage you 
to do from God's word this morning is to start out saying, wait a minute. Instead of focusing on where I'm not, instead of focusing on where I need to go to, God, let me focus on where I've come from and what you've done in my life in the past. Here's the second thing that we do in approaching new beginnings, and it's found in verses two through four. It's this, recognize there's only one person that you should follow. One. Look at what it says in verse two. It says, and at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp. So the leaders of the people of Israel went through the camp, and look at what they tell the people in verse three. And they commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length, and do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you should go, for you have not passed this way before. What did I say the second way that we approach new beginnings? Not only remembering where we come from, but recognize there's only one person to follow. One. You know, the Ark of the Covenant here is mentioned, and this Ark was the most holy physical possession of Israel. And I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I'm reading the Bible and I come across the Ark of the Covenant, this is what I think of, this picture, right? Can any of you identify with that, this, this picture of Indiana Jones? That's how my mind works. That's what I often think of with the Ark of the Covenant. And actually, they didn't do a bad job interpreting of what it looked like because in Exodus 25, we we have this ark described and it wasn't very big. It was three foot nine inches long and two feet three inches wide and high and it was covered with gold both inside and out and it was topped by a lid of pure gold and there was two figures, two angels facing each other from either side. So Hollywood actually did a pretty good job. But you have this really relatively little box. But this box symbolized God's holiness. You see this box, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, when they had the tabernacle and they worshiped God, this box sat in a room called the Holy of Holies. And no one was allowed in that room except for the high priest of Israel one time a year to make a sacrifice for the people of Israel. You see, if you walked in to that holy of holies where that Ark of the Covenant set, you were immediately killed. Why? Because God wanted to get across that I am holy and you are not. But the Ark also symbolized God's justice. Because we can read in different passages of Scripture, we don't have time to go to, but the reason why the Levitical priests carried that Ark of the Covenant on long rods is because they couldn't touch the Ark. Because if they touched the Ark... They also perished. And what God was getting across is that he was a just God and he was a holy God. So if he's a just God and he's holy, which means without sin, that he can't tolerate sin. And we know that every one of us are sinful, including the people that lived back then. But then the Ark of the Covenant also symbolized his mercy. Because like I said, when that Ark of the Covenant sat in the Holy of Holies and that priest would go in one day a year in the Day of Atonement and that priest would go in, he would make a sacrifice for the sins of all of Israel and he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat on the top of that Ark of the Covenant and God would cover the sins of Israel. See, the Ark of the Covenant represented God's mercy. 
And it's interesting that the Ark of the Covenant contained three things inside. Have you ever wondered, like, what's in the box? Ever wondered that? What's in the box? Well, the Bible tells us what's in the box, and inside the box are the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. Inside the box was Aaron, who was Israel's first high priest, his rod. And then inside the box was a little bowl of manna. I don't know how long that manna was in that box before it spoiled. I have no idea. Scripture doesn't tell us. But inside was that bowl of manna. Whether it was moldy, whatever it was, inside were those three things. The Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and a little bowl of manna. But what I also want you to understand and we see in this passage of Scripture is not only did the Ark of the Covenant symbolize God's holiness and God's justice and God's mercy, but the Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's presence. That God was with his people. See, look at how the Ark of the Covenant is described. Look back in, in verse, verse 2. It says, not just the Ark, but it says the Ark of the Lord your God. See, the people of Israel knew that if we've got the Ark and it's leading us forward, then I'm telling you what, now all of a sudden everybody's much more at ease because God's presence is leading us and we're not going to be defeated. The ark represented God's presence. But if you look at this passage of scripture in verses 2 through 4, you see something interesting. There was this massive separation that the Lord commanded the people of Israel to adhere to. 2,000 cubits between the ark of the covenant and the first group of people that were crossing the Jordan River. Which is about 1,000 yards. So if we're putting ourselves in this passage of Scripture, I'm thinking to myself, man, that's a long way for me to make sure that I even see the Ark of the Covenant going. Can you imagine the conversation? Did it leave yet? I think the priest's feet have touched the water of the Jordan, but a thousand yards. And the reason why God did that is because it was another reminder that even though they had God's presence with them, there still was a massive gap between God's holiness and their sinfulness. And when I look at where we are today, and I look at the new beginnings that we experience as a church today, and I think about the new beginnings that you're experiencing right now in your seats, whatever circumstance it is, or I think about the new beginnings that you're praying that God will give you with every situation that you're struggling with right now, here's the awesome reminder that I see when I read this passage of scripture that praise God that today on this side of the cross there's not a thousand yards between my God and me but Jesus Christ bridged that gap that Jesus Christ God in the flesh came down and he lived a perfect life for you and for me and he died on the cross for your sin and my sin the penalty that I deserved. And he rose again three days later. So that today when I think about even what was in the ark. And the ten commandments that were in the ark. That demonstrated God's holiness. And this is what holiness looked like. And knowing that we'll never measure up in keeping every one of those ten commandments. Every single day without flaw. Jesus Christ fulfilled those ten commandments for you and for me. When I think about that rod that was in the ark of the covenant. Symbolizing Aaron and the high priest and him being a mediator between God and Israel. I think about what Hebrews talks about, that Jesus Christ is our mediator today. That today I can pray to him and I can have fellowship with him. And I can know I have a home in heaven when I pass from this life to the next. Because Jesus is my high priest. He's my mediator. And when I think about that little bowl of manna, and in my mind I think about how long did it, was it good before it started to mold? Really what God was doing is reminding the people of Israel that I'm your provision. 
And so when I look on this side of the cross and I look at this passage of scripture and I'm like, how do I face new beginnings? And I'm reminded, man, I need to realize that there's one person that I follow, that Jesus has every right to demand that of me and to expect that of me because he's my ultimate source of provision. He demonstrated that through his life, death, and resurrection. So we sit here today on the cusp of this new beginning. And what we say to ourselves is, how do we approach it? I mean, I remember what God has done, and I realize that there is one person that I follow because I need to understand and remember that when I start thinking that I can lead myself to places that I haven't been before, I need to remind myself what God tells Israel. Listen, you need to follow me because you've not been this way before. And I think of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where the writer of Hebrews says, man, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. There's so many people that have walked this life before us that can testify that God is faithful, that can testify that God is a God of new beginnings. And then in verse 2, the writer of Hebrew tells us how we're supposed to walk. He says, we look to Jesus, not to myself, not to you not to my expertise, not to my knowledge, not to my experience, but I look to Jesus because he's the author and finisher of, of my faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason why that right hand of the throne of God is so important is that reminds me that Jesus is my victory, and I can have an assurance today that he's the one that I follow. Here's the third way that we face new beginnings. Understand that new beginnings are the gateway to greater opportunity. Here's the third thing, and it's found in verse 5. Man, I love this verse. Because remember, remember the anticipation. It's a pretty exciting day, is it not? What's God asking of us today? It says in verse 5, Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the lord will do wonders among you see here's the third way i see from god's word that we approach new beginnings ready yourself for the miracles god will do ready yourself because god's going to do some amazing things and I think it's interesting that when we look at this passage of Scripture, that consecrate has this idea of setting yourself apart. And Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, goes through all the different ceremonial ways that objects were purified and people would set themselves apart. And all of God's Word is God-breathed. It's God's word. All of scripture is God breathed. But Leviticus is probably not the first book of the Bible that you're going to go to for your quiet time. But Leviticus goes through all different ways that people would, would need to take extensive and rigorous preparation. Including the way that they would wash themselves and abstinence if they were married. And all these different types of things to purify themselves. But I think it's so interesting that Joshua says to them, hey... Tomorrow God's going to do some amazing things because that's who we know our God to be. When we remember where we came from, we can say this with confidence that the Lord's going to continue to do some amazing things. But here's our responsibility. Consecrate yourself. To this beautiful mention of human responsibility and God's sovereignty. See, God is in control and God's going to do what God's going to do. 
The question is, are we going to be on that boat? And when I look at this passage of Scripture, this call to ready yourself. See, if I asked you to raise your hand, every one of you would be like, man, do you want, if I said, do you want God to perform a miracle in your life today? Every one of us would be, yes, can I raise both hands? Can I, can I raise my foot? Man, I want God to do an amazing thing in my life today. And we could probably all pull out our list of all the things that we're wanting God to do and miracles that we're wanting him to do and blessings that we're wanting to experience and breakthroughs that we're wanting to experience from, from sin, addictions, or whatever it is. But I think it's interesting that we all want the miracles. We all want God to intervene. We all want God to bless. There's a human responsibility in it. There's a responsibility in how we live our lives. There's a responsibility that when we sin, we ask forgiveness of it and get back right with God. There's a responsibility to submit to God's word because God's word is God's will. There's a responsibility there. And oftentimes, we want God to do what he's going to do, but there's not, a, there's not a gratitude motivating responsibility for us to live the lives that God wants us to live. See, God says through Joshua, before I do the miracles, make sure that you ready yourself. Think of Ephesians 4 where Paul says, who writes Ephesians, that we need to walk worthy of the manner by which we're called. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, that he's living his life according to God's word. And the result is he will be a tree planted by the rivers of water that gives forth fruit in his season. See, we want that verse. But many times we aren't willing to submit ourselves to God's will and God's word so that we can live lives that are set apart so that we can experience the miracles that God wants to do. That word wonders in your text there in verse 5 is the closest word in the Old Testament we have to miracles. Wonders. See, these are the impressive acts that astonish people. They call your praises to God. That are things that you experience in your life that you can't humanly explain. They're the things that even cause people who don't have a relationship with God to say, I can't explain that. I can't explain that. See, that's what we want. And listen to me, I believe that that's what God wants to do in this church. God's telling this church from his word, and if you call this place your home, you're a part of this church. And if you're brand new here, I hope you call this church your home if you don't have a church home. But that's what God's calling for us. Ready yourselves. Make sure there's a short account between you and me, because I want you to experience the miracles that I'm going to do for you. And everything that's led us to this point today is for God to continue to further his mission in this city, in this nation, and in this world. And I feel like what God's wanting us to remember today is, listen, remember where you came from. Realize that there's one person that you need to follow, and it's the same person that you've been following up to this point. And man, get ready. Get ready. Because the Lord's going to do miracles among you. And I just want to read this passage of scripture as we close in Joshua chapter 4 verses 2 through 3. And we find ourselves now that the people of Israel have crossed over. They saw the miracle that God told them to get ready for. 
and a lot of prayer and a lot of preparation, a lot of hard work. Many, if not all of you, call this place your home, gave sacrificially and financially so that we could be in this place. Organizations in the city, Art Council, Black Rep, Little Theater, ministering to this community, community, setting a reputation of having a heart for the community. And we stand here on a other side of the Jordan moment. And I think what God tells the people of Israel to do is something that I think we all need to do. Maybe you need to pull out your phone and you need to take a picture before you leave today as a memorial because this is what God tells Joshua, he says, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here and out of the midst of the Jordan. Like, take 12 stones out of this Jordan that I just split open for you so that you could walk into the promised land. And it says, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And if you continue on in Joshua 4, he gives the reason for that because he says, so that when your children walk by, you can tell them what God did today. And when your grandchildren walk by, you can tell them what you experienced. See, God didn't want the people of Israel to ever forget who he was. And he doesn't want you to forget either. He wants you to remember that the God of the past is the God of the present and he's the God of the future and he never changes. And he's a God of new beginnings. And we celebrate those that we experience, are experiencing right now corporately and I want you to celebrate the ones that God may be giving you right now personally and those of you who are still waiting, I want you to look forward to that day and remind yourself that you serve an almighty God who never changes. And what he did before, he'll do it again in a fresh way. And let's celebrate him this morning. Let's not forget who he is and the opportunity he's given us as a church.